1: Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to yet another episode. And today is a fun one. Um, You've seen the episode title, you know what it is. Nate Duncan is here. And we are going to discuss in some form or another, we have no plan. It's my favorite type of podcast, the best players in the NBA today. Nate, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great, man. Although I think we both just needed to recharge from doing podcasts together for a while <laughs> after doing it for like every day on the most depressing subject of digital for, for a while, but was, uh, I'm ready to talk about uh, trivialities here. So you're ready?
1: Start. You're ready to speak with me again after um, having to hang out with me three or four days a week every morning on the worst topic ever?
0: I don't know. Honestly, I, I felt like you were avoiding me a little bit more, but that's
1: that's okay. <laughs> I well, you know, that's not you. That's basketball. But um, I, I, I no, I just needed a huge. I don't think it's a secret. I needed a recharge that that stretch from the beginning of the season to the pause to the bubble to the next season compressed. Like I, I don't even know how you did it. You you continued to truck on. But um, I I was like Andy Dufresne at the end of the pipes. By the time we got to July, uh,
0: yeah, I will say it was nice to on a little vacation in August and, and September. That was. That was well needed. Um, but yeah, so you subjected yourself to my entire top <laughs> ten players in the NBA or or the first hour you set up the top ten players in the NBA podcast from I guess that would have been like April, late April or yeah. early May.
1: Yeah. That? So so I mean we should let people know. We should set the stage. We somehow started talking about, and we'll definitely get to Jokic, because I think that's how this started. Um, but we've been talking about doing a podcast. I think it's really funny because when we stopped doing the COVID podcast, we're like, yeah, let's do a basketball podcast in a few weeks. And that was, that was like two years ago. Um, but we were bouncing this idea back and forth. And we said, okay, look, let's just, let's just record and talk about this. Because I think at this point in time, and I think you agree, the top end talent in the league is incredible. The state of the league is kind of in fluctuation. And there's just a lot to discuss on some of these guys. And, and so here we are, we're just gonna, we're just gonna talk it out yeah i would actually
0: say that maybe last year might have been the year when there was the most top end talent that there's just the, certainly since i started doing this top 10 players list in the nba in 2014 that there's the most talent in the entire league i actually think we're we're down a little bit right now compared to to last year due to injuries and due to age in some cases and due to rule changes In other cases and guys not being in the same level of shape and, you know, who who knows, maybe we were overrating guys because of the crazy offensive environment last year, which it seems like there was some indication that was caused in part by not having fans in the building that made it an easier offensive environment. All those things. So I actually I think we're a little down so far this year. I'm interested to see how we're going to feel about it by the time I usually do my list, which is in, uh, you know, the April ish time frame probably march this year but you did yours at the start of the season um so do you do you agree with me on that do you think it's down a little bit from you know the kind of stretch run of last
1: season i think so and i wonder how much of that is injuries versus guys like lebron and harden um aging out i would love to talk about anthony davis i think I, I have thoughts, let's put it that way. I think he's yeah, another he's, one of these he's guys. He's aging
0: out also. He's
1: aging, he is, he's 28 years old. And look, let's just get to it. I have a rant here, okay? He, he doesn't look right okay. to me. He doesn't look right. He's physically, if you go back and watch him, and I did recently, if you look at film, videos, games, whatever it is, 2019, 2020, when he got to the Lakers, he, he's not moving the same way. He just doesn't physically look right. And height and sort of his length historically ages incredibly well, but he just seems to have lost, you know, the term he lost his fastball, he seems to have lost his edge on a lot of his pitches. And so I I don't know how you feel about him right now, but during this season, but unless he can like have a, a, to borrow soccer parlance, uh, a form change physically, it's not that he's not good. It's just he is no longer, he doesn't have that physical ability to impact the game in the elite way that I think he did two years ago.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting. I remember you saying something similar at the start of the bubble, mm-hmm. and then he just completely dominated once, the, once yeah. the playoffs started. I don't know whether he played himself into shape or what, but he was one of the most vocal guys about the layoff being so short between what was the 2020 bubble and, and the 2021 season, and supposedly his usual routine is he basically just takes a month off of not doing anything whatsoever, and then comes in and then works his way back and he's ready for camp, but obviously he didn't really have time to do that. And then there was also more of a truncated offseason where, again, he had this groin issue. I don't know how much that impacted his offseason work. And so it's always difficult. I agree with you that, no, he does not look like the player at the level of dominance that we saw in the 2020 bubble. Or even if you want to talk about in New Orleans where, right. he, I mean, he's gets he, has, he gets – more post ups and more direct plays run for him in L.A. than he ever did in New Orleans. Yet in New Orleans, on teams that you know might have been played played a little differently than the Lakers in terms of spacing, but you know he was able to walk into 28 points a night and you know really efficient play. And you know was maybe the greatest pick and roll finisher ever with his versatility. And no, I haven't seen that from him. And then also defensively, I think it really. You know, 2020, I thought he could really move into a new era with his defense after the bubble. And he, I think he's regressed since then as well.
1: Yeah. OK, so it sounds like we're on the same page. And of course, he's some especially New Orleans, just looking back and looking at where he was and, and kind of ending with that crescendo in the bubble. That to me is not the same player that I've seen this year and certainly not last year. And how how much of that is injuries or how much of that is additional weight or conditioning or his routine being messed up and he gets back to it. I I don't know. But my rant on it is I feel like too many people are using it as a referendum for where he was in 2019 or 2020. And I I just I just see a different dude honestly reminds me a little of Moses Malone after he won the title with the Sixers where there were a couple years there, he was just massively up and down. And there was a lot of media noise in the 80s about what was happening with this guy who didn't seem like he should be you know, too old. He just coming off these MVP seasons and a championship. And he he had a bounce back year in 85. But 1984 and 1986 were kind of ugly for Moses Malone. And then he just goes right into his post prime career after he leaves the Sixers.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I I was born in 1980. I probably really became aware of the NBA probably around age seven or eight. And he wasn't a relevant player. Right. By that point. And considering how good he was, Early on, having won three MVPs and some of them controversial, but still, I mean, I think most people would have had him as the best player in the world in 1983 and then really just wasn't in that conversation after that year. And that was, you know, when did he come in? 76 or something like that, you know, like as a high schooler. So he was he was like 26 or something in in, uh, in 1983. And then, you know, he ends up playing for another 10 years and but just never, I mean, he he was a totally irrelevant player when I really first became aware of the NBA as early as 1987, 1988.
1: Yeah. And I remember him growing up on Atlanta for like the goggles and just sort of like, yeah. you know, being a dude that worked hard in the post and grabbed boards. But I mean, to your point, he was about 20, like 27 years old in 1983. And so that's the only historical comp that comes to mind. And it obviously makes me a little uneasy, but I just I don't know what to make going forward of ad and certainly that makes me think like right now people ask me about the video that said why isn't ad included well one health um he didn't seem to really play much last year and two I, I don't see the same dude i don't see that like high level top five top 10 dude right now
0: well especially if you look at the lakers defensive performance this year yeah you know what they got ross he's not any good they got carmelo he's not any good they they haven't had combo forwards they've been missing lebron if Anthony Davis has really got that good, they should be better than 25th on defense.
1: Yeah, right? and I think that's the kind of thing that you see on film, too, which is that even though I'm saying he's lost something on his pitches, if he had a good defensive unit around him and a good defensive coach, he'd, st- he'd still be one of the better defensive players in the league. But part of yeah. the promise of AD is what we saw in the bubble, right? Like a tra- Like a Swiss Army knife in the playoffs that is transcendent from series to series and scheme to scheme. And, oh, man, I think we're going to talk a lot about scheme versatility in the playoffs when we get to the get to the guy in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> so um we, we might. We might. Well, well, So maybe maybe this time
0: to talk about just what your criteria are for your top 10. Like, how, how are you even say if you're going to you did yours at the start of the year? I, I wonder if that has anything to do with this, but. So, what is your criteria? Because, and you know, you've dealt with this obviously a lot with your historical stuff. You've done overall career rankings. You've done, or not career rankings, but you've done overall player rankings. You've done greatest peaks rankings. So, I, I think it's important to just delineate exactly what we mean by top ten players. What are we each valuing? Because I think that could inform a, a lot of our discussion.
1: Yep, no, that's a great that's a great point. Um, technically, I did my list is backwards facing. I did make it in July. <laughs> I actually usually form it as the playoffs are going, and I made it in July, and it just took me about two months to actually make the video, which isn't to say I didn't take two months off from making the video. I just kept getting in rabbit holes over the summer, and I said I might as well just wait until we get to the beginning of the season. But my criteria is kind of the same as when I do a lot of the historical stuff. I am thinking about championship equity, um, which has some regular season merit with your health and things like that. But it's mostly about how you move through the playoffs and add value on playoff teams. And I do think about general goodness. Like if you're put on a reasonably random team, random is the wrong word because it's not right. random, right? It's not random. GMs and coaches play, build around you and coach around you and play around you. But you're built on, you're put on some reasonably built team.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter what he would do on this year's Oklahoma. City exactly. Thunder because yeah. If you have a player like that, you don't have a team like
1: the Oklahoma 100%. City. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's it. I think about um, the sort of equity you lift your team up on the court. From that perspective, I, I think we're in similar space, right? Is there anywhere you kind of disagree materially?
0: I don't think so. Basically, my criterion is uh, mine is forward looking. So so When you did it, you said you're basically saying, you know, for uh, last year, essentially, what your top 10 players would have been, including the playoffs. Is that kind of?
1: Yeah. And I yeah. And I think I don't know who I think I feel like you have it harder um, trying to project forward. And of course, I think the spirit of the conversation today is looking forward. But you guys take where you are. So you do it right before the playoffs, where you are, if you had a calendar season in front of you and then a postseason to finish. Right. Yeah, and then
0: the way we handle injuries is we basically say we pretend everyone is back from whatever injury that they have, right? And so if it's something where a guy's at right now with a sprained ankle, okay, you know, no indication that that's going to be a long-term issue, then we don't really count it at all. If it's something like, say, Kawhi Leonard's torn ACL or Kevin Durant's torn Achilles, we tried to say, all right, what do we think this guy's going to look like once he gets back from that? Now, in the case of KD, I and my podcast partner, Danny, was less this was less the case for him. But I, you know, so KD was out with the Torn Achilles when we did our list in, you know, I think it was uh, March of 2020. Like, the, so the 2020, not the 2021. Right, list. right. Yeah. And so I think I ranked him ninth at that point, even though, so that's just like, I expect him to be the ninth best player once he gets back from the Torn Achilles as it turned out that was far far too low uh, but but that was you know because he's had his unprecedented return from uh, the achilles issue but that's kind of how i look at it. it do you have any different of an approach uh, for injuries
1: no I, I think that's fair um i'm i'm do you think that it would it, who does that impact right now kawaii well, ca-
0: why it, Kawhi wasn't even on your list at all right i think you i remember like a cute graphic where you like you had him in the middle from of the top ten where he was last year, and then he just like kind of got bumped off to the side and like disappeared on like the left tail of the <laughs> I think, of the top ten.
1: I think that was for health. So I, I yeah, when yeah. I do it backwards facing, as long as you played the season and I have a sample to work off of, uh, I can I can talk about that sample. And I had him fifth. I, I it was interesting when I started the list. I kept going back and forth between um, him and Durant at four or five because it's like. You guys use tiers. I use ranges. In my mind, that was the edge of like where we, I could make a good argument for this player being the best player in the league. And I think, I mean, as we stand now, when Kawhi comes back, do you think? Do you anticipate yourself seeing him as someone who has a candidacy for the best player in the league? Not this year. Maybe it's possible for next year. I am. I, I still. We still don't even know
0: exactly what injury he had, though. Right. Like that's the other thing where. Because did he have Law Murray wrote a piece on this. Did he have the Spencer Dinwiddie partially torn ACL where they didn't have to fully replace the ACL anyway? Or did he have the partially torn ACL where there was nothing usable left and they had to just fully replace it, which is kind of more akin to the normal uh, the normal ACL return. I mean, Dinwiddie, I think looks great so far. This year, I, I would say he hasn't really missed a beat at all from his broken days. I mean, he's getting to the foul line less. It's probably the biggest thing, but that's that's tough to tease out when you consider that everybody's getting to the foul line less now. Right. Yeah. Um, that's impacted so many players. I mean, that, that'll be something we should probably talk about uh, on my pod when we do the home and home of just the historical impact of some of these changes that have been made. But uh, yeah, so I, I think this year I would not anticipate that he would be in that conversation particularly if he comes back for this year next year i mean it's tough like his his age was he that'll be his age 32 season next year i want to say this is age 31 i I might be off by a year there but uh so to answer your question in the most long-winded fashion possible (laughs) uh no i i don't think it's likely that he would be in that conversation He he sure as hell was before he got hurt though
1: yeah yeah he'll be age 31 next year um can i can i read your list just for posterity from april is that does that work
0: uh, yes. And, and so before we do that, though, I will note that I would change this a ton. Right, and right. obviously, you know, their, their injuries, and uh, this is before the playoffs. This is, you know, before even LeBron and AD came back from their injuries, I, I think as well. So the 2020 playoffs kind of had a, an outsized effect uh, on this list.
1: And I'm I'm assuming that for both of us, we don't have a specific list in our head today, but I want to I want to work off of this to kind of generate the discussion about where you see a lot of change or um, where we think differently on guys right now moving forward. Yeah. So so here we go. You had LeBron in a tier by himself. Of course, this yeah. is and I,
0: I'll I'll break in periodically too if I feel like there's a little bit of clarification because because this list is going to sound terrible right now. I, I feel like.
1: <laughs> if actually if you listen to the pod which I just did, of course, and if you remember sort of the context of pre 2021 playoffs, um, I-, I thought it was a really, really interesting discussion with a lot of good points here. So LeBron back when he was healthy. Now, I mean, with LeBron, I've been on the fence and I talked about it in my video recently. Do you, if if you had to slot him now would where would you put him ish? is is he still in a candidacy for the top player to you are you are you thinking it's more likely that he's kind of more in the middle of this pack like what are you thinking about where he's at
0: Yeah I, I think it's more likely that he's in the middle uh, at this point and that's not due to I'm not ruling out the possibility that he might be the best player in these playoffs coming up but the combination of age The combination uh, and age at the point where, you know, because 2020 bubble, I think I would have most people would have said he was the best player after that. And that was not totally unprecedented. I think in 1998, Michael Jordan, at age 35, which is what LeBron was in the bubble. I think he was the best player at age 35 in 1998. Beyond, I think there is not really any precedent for a player older than 35 being the best player. LeBron looked like maybe he could continue to do that before he got hurt last year at least be in that discussion now that we're talking about his age 37 season we've seen already two injuries this year we've seen a big injury in 2021 we saw a big injury in 2019 and also he's not getting into the room at all anymore compared to and not he is driving but is i shouldn't say he's not getting the room he is driving almost as much as he used to but those drives are way less effective than they have been and so the combination of all those things to me makes me think that the, yes, there's still a possibility he could get there over a playoffs when you consider regular season value, injuries, and just the highest level of performance. He's been very reliant on the jumper the last couple of years uh, as well. I think it's the possibility of him being the best player is remote enough now that I wouldn't feel comfortable having him in the top
1: group. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I have a video coming out shortly after this podcast on rule changes, specifically the guys who have really been hit the hardest by rule changes. And in that video, um, I was looking for a LeBron clip. He's obviously not really featured that much in the video, but there's a, there's, a vid- there's a clip that I was looking for. And I went back and started watching like 19 and 20 Lakers. And I mean, the athletic drop off from where he is today, I, I'm not just age, right? When you mention the injuries, that's scar tissue in your body. That potentially is building yeah. up over time. And I just like, you, you never want to count out LeBron. He's, he's incredible, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's unlikely that we're sitting here at the end of the 2022 season going that, that LeBron James, he did it again. Um, he may do it again to some degree in terms of just like how good he ends up being, but I think we're on the same page there. You, you mentioned 35 year olds, Nate. Um, there's a guy who I had number one on my list. You're certainly no hater of his. Steph Curry's about to be 34. I've been thinking about this. Outside of LeBron and Michael Jordan, I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the only guy we've seen play at this level at 34. How how are you feeling about Steph right now?
0: Yeah, well, quickly on Kareem, I would say that his defense was probably at a the the early 80s was kind of an interesting time for you know, which is that's when he would have been around that same age. I, think, I I don't know that there's a great argument for Kareem being the best player after, like, 1980 or so. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. That I, that th- was I last, think that's ni- just, like, MVP level of season.
1: Well, I think 1980 was the last year we were like, Kareem's that dude. Um, but his yeah. y- his year 34 season, and, and just to be technical here, um, most of you know this, but basketball reference uses a February 1 cutoff. For what age you are in a year? Curry's born in in March, so this is his year uh, age thirty three season. But he's going to be thirty four uh, essentially. It's right. just one of those guys that just misses the cutoff. Kareem, he's thirty four season is nineteen eighty two. I still think he's probably the best player in the Lakers. I still think he's in that like upper tier. But I agree, nineteen eighty was probably the last year. Um, so what are you yeah. saying? There's only two Maybe, other guys. I, yeah, I
0: guess I guess they do win the championship in eighty two. You know, if you're doing, I mean, this is doing this very much off the top of my head but you know if you're doing who's the best player in 1982 you probably you know maybe it's moses who who led that houston team the finals in 81 and kareem is probably up there dr j you know bird bird and magic both kind of went to a new level later in the 80s so i'm not sure that they they would have been there bird maybe is in that conversation yep i'm I'm missing anyone on
1: no i think that's it i think it was when we did it on real gm 10 years ago we went back and did every year uh and i could pull those results up i think you got the guys kareem moses bird um you know magic was a little on the outside but anyway keep going so it sounds like you're saying it's only jordan and lebron for you at this age
0: yeah yeah well when i like 35 yeah i mean i haven't really thought about it as 33 34 but yeah i think now there are a lot of people i mean we'll talk about it but of you know where is Steph Curry because I know you ranked him number 1 coming into this season I I would not have agreed with that uh despite the fact that I I think I've been as high on on Steph as just about any anyone and I certainly you know as and I I had him second in MVP last year I thought that it was much closer than most people imagined between he and Jokic even if you did want to say that Jokic is the best offensive player uh in basketball I mean, maybe even during the playoffs but uh, during the regular season um for reasons that that we'll talk about but i do think still you know we haven't seen steph in the playoffs for a few years now um i do think that there is somewhat of a limit to what he can do in the playoffs i think he is he is a less effective playoff player than regular season player even though some of that's been due to injuries historically um because you know what the way that he plays is unique enough that you can get used to it in a seven game series when you have smarter players more versatile defenses in the playoffs they can do them a little bit more and he also is he does struggle to create, quote unquote create his own shot now he creates a ton of shots for himself and others in in very non traditional ways but i do think that that when you really get down to it at the end and particularly at the end of games as well even on like a last possession situation he doesn't quite have that shake that he had back in 2015, 2016, where he can lose anybody and get his shot off. And that's that still is a concern to me, even if in the ho- holistic view, obviously he's a, a very, very good player. that's When we're really splitting hairs here, uh, that's probably why I would have him below Kevin Durant.
1: Yeah, I agree with most of that. I think what's interesting that I've kind of um, – Sort of expanded my mind on, if you will, is in the playoffs, Curry's scoring himself, like his individual scoring. But an interesting aside, at some point I'm going to circle back to it, is where Curry ranks as an all time scorer. Because some of the things he can do, I got into this in a recent video, like when you start changing the guys on the court next to him, some of the things he can do really put him in an upper echelon of scoring that I, I actually don't think most people have acknowledged or discussed historically like when he's out there by himself to be scoring like what is the equivalent of 40 points per 75 possessions on high efficiency taking other guys and making the offense really good that's crazy but then when he's out there with other players he also may be the best like second or third best scorer ever so just as an aside like his regular season scoring let me respond to that too i actually thought that last year
0: was pretty interesting. Golden State ends up 20th in offense. Obviously, a big part of that was that they really struggled when he was off the floor. But even when he was on, I think they were like, you know, a 112, which in that super-heated season was, you know, around kind of like a slightly above-average offense, like 10th or something last year. And I do think that while Curry seems like a great fit and he can play off the ball with anyone, he can play with other great players, while you know, playing with James Wiseman and Kelly Oubre, like, those guys were the villains, right? Like, those guys were torpedoing Steph, and they don't know how to play with them, and they're too dumb, and they're screwing up the offense. But also, like, something needs to be said of, like, all right, Steph Curry does need to have really smart players and screeners and passers around him. He's he's not quite as plug-and-play, maybe, as someone like KD is or someone like Kawhi is or... You know, LeBron, we'll see, like he needs some shooting, but he doesn't need like smart players because Steph can't just run the entire show and just put some bodies next to him who could make a three pointer and you've got an elite offense. Like it's not quite that simple with him. I still think he's a great fit overall, but maybe not quite as seamless making an elite offense around certain types of players.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's largely true. I think the thing I push back on is his ceiling is so high. When you get guys that can, right? When you get guys that can basically pass and set screens. Um, And and so sometimes we do, I think we do it with LeBron too, where we're like, you can just roll the ball out there and throw anyone out there. And it's like, yeah, I mean, of course, LeBron James is probably the best floor raiser in NBA history. But I, I think with Curry, what you're saying is, okay, it's not always just plug and play the easiest thing ever to achieve this nuclear offense. And that I agree with. That is a subtle point that is often overlooked. But I do think when you get, when you just start to get competent players who have decent feel and IQ and read and react systems and things like that. I mean, just random guys off of other teams would probably fit well. When they signed Bielitsa, I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. Um, bringing back Iguadala has obviously had an effect. And I think there's probably more guys floating around out there like that, um, than people probably realize. But. At the same time, you don't even need Steve Kerr to me. I think if you put him on other teams, they had this a little bit when they had KD, when you when you put him on other teams next to great players, you still end up with insane offense as well, right? I think that's, that's the selling point for me.
0: Yeah. And I think it, those sorts of players, a lot of them, the, the players who can pass and stream and stuff, a lot of those guys aren't that good defensively. You know, like the thinking behind getting Ubre and maybe drafting Wiseman and they brought in Kent Bazemore last year, who I didn't think was an amazing fit either. Uh, was all right. We got to get better defensively, right? We got to get more athleticism. These are the guys who are available to do that. This year, they're less athletic, but they're so smart defensively. They're still stopping people anyway, and also Draymond it has been better. Um, so yeah, I, I, that that's overall though. I, I do think, particularly because Curry can be so additive on a great team. Like I, I'm, this is again. Uh, picking nits here, yeah. to be sure well largely
1: yeah and and i and I think the point I started with was about the playoff decline, um and so yeah, yeah. right, and so coming back full circle, I do think his individual scoring can be blunted a little bit, and you talked about it specifically with defensive schemes that will get used to him, and uh, you get elite defenses later in the playoffs, and I actually thought historically, I thought Fred van Fleet, who's kind of allowed to foul away from the ball in every possession, like a, a, a guy like that. Is going to be able to do better with smart defenders around him who understand the scheme than uh, poor Isaac Okoro the other night, right? Who's like traditionally a quote unquote decent defender um, because of his build and his tools. And he's just like on an island off ball. He has no idea what to do off ball chasing this Leviathan. Um, So in the playoffs, I do think you can take away his individual scoring a little bit. But what I've, the, the point I've come around on, Nate, is that. That, that latent value, that sort of disruption of the defense by running around, continues to help his team in the playoffs in a way that I think is difficult to perceive. It's, it's honestly hard to quantify, right? It's difficult to gauge. But one of the things that really kind of popped to me when I was doing my greatest peak series was Curry missing time at the beginning of the playoffs throws off his playoff plus minus data because his teammates are playing weak opponents. Then he comes back and plays the harder opponents. And if you adjust for that, when you adjust for that, all of a sudden, he also looks like one of the best offensive players and overall impact guys in the postseason as well. And that's been a big data point for me, as well as just thinking about, you know, studying the film, what happens off the ball to kind of move me in the direction of like, okay, He's, he might not be quite as good in the playoffs as in the regular season. I'm pretty comfortable with that. But I think we focus an index too much on his own individual scoring drop. And your call about the end of games, I, I agree with. I think, um, as an aside, at the end of games, sometimes a two or a three doesn't matter. And Curry's only like, what, 40, 46% from the floor or something like that. So it's different than Durant. Mm-hmm. Durant can give you 53% from the mid-range. So I think that is a real effect that we feel at the end yeah. of games. But in the other 47 minutes, um, yeah, I think taking just a little bit off of that regular season offense is still a nuclear weapon. I, I, that's why I still think he's the best offensive weapon in the league and that value is so extreme that I don't think his defense uh, undoes it, basically.
0: Well, and I'll also say this, too. I, I've made this point before. Uh, on him, I We're probably spending too much time on stuff. but uh, But I think when you compare his defense to that of other guard, not even other guards, not even guards his size, but even like getting up to like shooting guard size players. When you consider his role in the offense, I think, you know, maybe Chris Paul is the only other one, and Chris might is probably better than him defensively, but or, or has been over the course of his career. Um, he's better than any of these, you know, he's better than your James Harden and yep. your Devin Baker and your Zach Levine and your Kyrie Irving and whoever else you want to throw out there. Like he's way better defensively than yep. any of these other ball dominant scoring guard types.
1: Yeah, I mean even um, Steve Nash historically, right? Like, oh yeah,
0: that's a great that's a great example.
1: Yeah, like he's 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 just you're just not having the same sacrifice on the defensive end. Um, I didn't actually anticipate talking about Steph this much, so there's there's we can go as long as we want, but there's two guys who I really want to get to on your list. So you had LeBron at tier one. You had Ka- yeah, yeah. We
0: haven't even made it through. We haven't made it through. <laughs> yeah. let's 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 bang that out. Okay, here, yeah. so you have
1: Kawhi and Steph in tier two. We've talked about them. Tier yeah. three, Anthony Davis. Uh, we talked about him. Kevin Durant. I, I don't know how much we need to talk about him. Um, you had
0: yeah. Well, all I'll say is at this point he was like in the midst of missing half the season with the hamstring issue, and I just hadn't. I know he'd played at a really high rate coming back but I just hadn't seen enough of a sample. And I was also worried about injuries and I, I hadn't seen enough of him going up against great playoff defense yet uh, coming back from the Achilles. So I was kind of pricing that in. Danny was far more prescient. He had him, I think, I don't know if he had him number one, but he, he might've had, he was in his top three and I think he was in top tier. So he had the right of it there.
1: Well, I'll, I'll ask you this cause you've always been uh, a Durant guy. Um, how concerned are you? I guess my only criticism of him, if, if I can say quote unquote criticism, because I do have him in the contention for, for best player. H- how concerned are you about his sort of drop in, I mean, he's getting to the rim less. He got to the rim less last, last year before the rule changes, even when the league was super soft. He doesn't seem, he's never been physical around the basket as a defender, but that seems to be, to my eye, a little less potent than it was in Golden State. How concerned are you that if this magical shooting, let's assume he's still basically the best mid-range shooter ever, that puts you at like 50-52%, not 58%? Do you have any concern that if, if you can get into a playoff setting like last year against Milwaukee or any good playoff defense and they just force him into a heavy diet of those shots over a series, that of course he's still one of the best players, but you lose a lot of the luster he's getting right now from this like, this is just alien shooting, Nate. He's shooting like seventy percent from outside sixteen feet. No, it's pretty insane. He's still getting to the foul line
0: a reasonable amount. That's that's down slightly. Um, he's also taking fewer threes, which I, I think I think part of that is going to go back up when uh, he, they they're, they kind of get right. Like their team is just really weird right now. Like they're not getting the ball movement. They haven't found a way to play. They've got all these weird non-shooters out there. He's got they're asking him to bail them out more, but you know, still at sixty-seven percent true shooting. If that if that goes down, then maybe I'll, I'll be a little bit more concerned. But I still he he's had basically I think one bad game this entire season, and that was against Golden State, and that was maybe with this shoulder issue. Like I think that's the only game where he's been you know, kind of where you look at the box score and like that's not a good game. So he's been incredibly consistent. And I mean that Bucks defense that he did it against last year. I think it was like an all-time great defense. So and and he had a, a an unbelievable series for a team that had nobody on it. So uh, I, I, until it's proven differently, I, I'm not that worried about it. I do think defensively, yeah, he hasn't been amazing so far this year. I thought he was very good early on in that Nets series before Harden came back. Um, the, but the, I, yeah, the Bucks I series? Just, uh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I keep. <laughs> Nets and Bucks. I keep transposing. I don't understand why that is. Like they're both short words. I guess it doesn't. They're not really that simple. It's
1: it's just uh, what happens now. Words get confused. I do it all the time. Uh. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll put it. I'll, I'll put it
0: this way. I have fewer concerns about Durant's resiliency in the playoffs than I do about Steph because we haven't seen it with Steph, and I just believe that KD. The way that he gets his points is just harder to counter.
1: Yeah. Concern's not the right word, but also I think on this point about their like actual on-ball, self-generated scoring, their scoring numbers, I, I buy that. Um, of course, my thing with Durant, my, my thing, I mean, I thought he was one of the best players in the league for like a decade. I, I think the reason why I'm not quite as high sometimes as other people is... I think he gets a little overstated about what happens when you run everything through him in terms of playmaking and decision-making and passing and things like no, that. That
0: that I think is the more legitimate. Yeah. Concern. Yeah. So the, the, is this guy a great offense on his own yeah, or yeah. Are you too focused on his individual statistics? I think that that is the more reasonable concern to me.
1: Yeah. I think, I think otherwise we're pretty uh, in the pretty same uh, ballpark on, on KD. Definitely. Uh, near the top of contention for me earlier in the year so you have a couple more guys in this third tier um and i actually want to read one guy in your fourth tier and then we can discuss them so Giannis is sixth Embiid is seventh Doncic is eighth and then the first guy in the fourth tier is jokic and the two guys i really wanted to discuss and see where you're at now on them are are Giannis and jokic obviously those are guys um i i've been much higher on recently i had jokic third and I had I actually went back and I had him first when you consider health, because the guy is just, apparently apparently he only misses games when he um, like pushes people. And uh, and I have had Giannis in the top three for a couple of years. So so pick one where wherever you want to start is fine. But where are you on these guys now?
0: So Giannis would be higher. I do think that the Giannis is obviously the best player in the world. Talk is quite premature. Last year's playoffs really sucked. He didn't play a real defense in well, actually no. Well, I think Miami probably actually the best defense that they played last year, I would say. At least at least as far as defending him. Like Phoenix was a good defense overall. Yeah, okay. But they also didn't have anyone to deal with it.
1: So. Yeah, I just want I, I think that's a fair point to to clarify both sides on because I think Phoenix was a solid or decent defense, but it was the kind of solid defense that apparently if you don't have the right system in place um Giannis can just expose he just can skewer you basically
0: yeah and it's and even then it's not like like that Bucks offense yes they couldn't hit a three and and all that but it's not like he was pushing that Bucks team to unbelievable offensive performances last year um and now if this free throw shooting improvement is real he's dropped off a little bit lately but uh and you know, he's kind of found his confidence and all that. Like, I do think by the time, by that Phoenix series, he was playing about the best he'd played in the playoffs. So he's had, you know, against, like, Boston in 2019. And, you know, he's had some unbelievable series in the past as well. But, yeah, I just, you know, be- beating Atlanta in the playoffs last year to, and, you know, that Nets team that couldn't stop anybody. And, like you know, he was – and for big parts of that Nets series, he was struggling. You know, it wasn't really until Harden came back that he was able to really be effective in that series is getting shut down by Blake Griffin. Uh,
1: and <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bla- Bla- Blake does seem like one of these players that's allowed to get away with a lot of contact compared to other guys. Um, but it, it, no, it's true. And I, I think it's, I, I like that sort of counterweight to Cause of course he was the, the golden child with closing the championship with a 50 point game, which is incredible. But there is this thing for me, at least where, When I'm looking at him going against Brooklyn last season and the way Brooklyn constructed their defense, um, there's a curb in the sense that I'm expecting him to have a huge series. And some people might go back and they're like, Nate, how can you say he struggled in that series? The beginning, you know, he averaged like 34 points a game or whatever it is in the beginning of the series. Um, he still had these big scoring games here and there. I I think it's because for me, at least the context of that defense. I would expect a guy like Giannis to not have a hard time racking up twenty five or thirty points near no. the basket, and it was the other stuff like taking eight threes in a game um which are just you're just bleeding possessions when you do that, so I think it's a good point keep going
0: well and i and i actually i mean if you he to me was below expectations in that series. in that series yeah i, I, th- I expected him to go completely nuts,
1: yeah, I think for most of the series, series. Yeah. yep, me too no.
0: yeah and obviously you know we we're Granted, I think Giannis, particularly with now the way that he's shown that he can switch more and has unlocked that for the Bucks, that to me maybe is what has bumped up his value a little bit more. The way he defended Jimmy Butler in the first round, now he didn't guard Durant much. You know that'll be that's a matchup to watch. Like Durant kind of cooked him in the first two games that series, and they didn't go back to that that much. But he was able to do a lot of switching in the Phoenix series as well. Um and you know he was able to unlock that versatility with PJ Tucker. Maybe they will see whether they're able to still play that way without Tucker. But the fact that he is capable of doing that, playing center, switching like my defensive evaluation of him is is at its highest. So I I I'll really be very interested to see where I have him. You know, would I have him in the same tier with Steph and KD at the end of this year? Like we we got a lot to see here still. But and so I just I like you alluded to, I'm not willing to totally changed my previous opinion of Giannis which was as maybe the best regular season player in the league when when healthy but uh and and what he's able to do against good playoff defenses based on last year when he didn't actually do anything against good playoff defense
1: yeah I'm with you on the defense man I mean do you think he's the best defensive player in the league right now how does how does that shake out in your head I think if let's let's include the playoffs right like who else would to me it's Draymond Giannis uh, Rudy, but obviously Rudy is more exposable, I think. Uh, how are you thinking about this?
0: Yeah, well, I, I will say I'd like to see Draymond and Giannis uh, with uh, the rest of those jazz guys around him and see see how they do.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, what I mean by that, let me just clarify, because I think it's an interesting yeah. point of discussion that we're going to get to with Jokic, I think. At this point, it seems like scheme versatility with your big men is a big sort of theoretical value add You just put different guys around them, no matter what offense you play, and you can go switch, you can go drop, you can... Whatever you want to kind of do, you can mix in some zone. Um, This seems to be the thing that allows you to get the most potential out of your playoff Big Ben now, where 20 years ago, it was like straight-up rim protection, essentially. Um, So when I look at Draymond and now Giannis, I think of them more in that light. Rudy, I've defended many times for the fact that his playoff value isn't isn't as poor as people make it out to be but obviously he's a guy who you're primarily playing drop with even if he can hold his own a little bit when he gets switched i don't think he has that same scheme versatility uh you know do you buy that am i what do you think
0: no i don't think he has the same scheme versatility i do think that it's the bigger problem in terms of scheme versatility with the jazz is all the other guys like there's just no other way for them to play besides a drop because you know, Rudy, Rudy is not the bottleneck there. It's, you know, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich and yeah. Donovan Mitchell and, uh, you know, Joe Ingles at this point in his career, et cetera. So, yeah, and I think Rudy can, can switch out, particularly late in the clock. That would be fine. You know, can he switch out on, like, off-ball screens against someone like Seth? Like, that's another another question, right? But, you know, there still is value in totally uh, walling off the rim uh, as well. I mean, there, you're it's tough for another team to put up an elite offensive game against you if they're not gonna score at the rim at all. Um but but yeah, so I, I you know I think to me though, yeah, I would have Rudy below Draymond and below Giannis. You know, I would have had A D in that group yep. after twenty twenty and, and maybe at the top of that group after twenty twenty. And you know, we'll see how the rest of his season goes. You know, maybe he'll be able to play into shape a, a little bit more.
1: Uh, um, oh sorry, I keep yeah. going. Yeah, no that's it. Uh on Giannis's offense, for me, I did like the balance between a little more they, they moved away from we're going to play Giannis ball five out give him the ball in the middle of the floor you know changing the geometry a little bit putting them on the sides putting them off ball a little bit more pick and roll actions and so that is a little more promising to me on his offense I have been a big advocate of no three-point shooting for him but get a Get a mid range or a post mover to just get oh, a little, yeah, just get percent. one, just get one, right? Okay, so, yeah, and, and that, that there have been some nascent yep. growth
0: there, I yep. would say. So, I mean, so I think actually that Giannis has some realistic ways in which he could get to being the clear number one guy, and that is just making more free throws, which he's starting to do. And, you know, we got to see whether he can do to the playoffs where he's historically been much worse, and then, yeah, just being able to take one hard dribble plant and pull up from the foul line or get like a little push shot or a hook shot out of the post. Just enough to where if he's being guarded by a center, the center can't just stand under the basket and wait for
1: him. Yep. I think that's exactly it. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out when we get to the playoffs this year. I don't know how much learning we're going to get from the regular season, but he's played 500 nothing minutes. Nothing well, he's played, answer. He, he's played 500 minutes so far and he's taking seven mid range shots per 75 possessions, and he's shooting 33% on him. Um, oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there'll be moments when he really steps into and shoots that free throw line jumper with confidence and really, like, plants and rises up that it can look good. But obviously, you know, if the stats aren't there, the stats aren't
1: there. Well, well no, I think it still might be something we don't know until the playoffs. His, his right. shot mechanics still seem... What's the word? I don't want to say shaky. It's it, but they are like they seem psychologically variable still at this point in his career. Meaning maybe he wakes up in April and he's shooting differently than he is in in November.
0: It, he has at least fixed the stupidest free throw routine <laughs> the, of all time. The hitch? Well, no. The like if you why you would wait for twelve seconds to shoot your free throw when you are clearly in your own head and you suck at shooting free throws, and then when you also I think this will, this will appeal to you. I don't know if you've ever talked about this, of like if that's your routine and in practice you're supposed to shoot him the same way and do your same routine every time. Now by just shooting after one dribble right away, he's basically like you know, probably quintupled the
1: amount of practice free throws <laughs> that he can take. He's, he's wasting practice time. Yeah. It's practice inefficiency. Yeah, no, I mean like that matters. No, it's, it's it's an interesting point when you're struggling that much. I mean, who was it, DeAndre Jordan, who just said, "I'm not going to dribble" a couple of years ago, and his and his free throw shooting spiked. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure, but I I definitely think that it's if you suck at free throw shooting, that's all the more reason to just get it and go at the foul line before and just to make it absolutely as rote and memory as possible. Because the the problem is you're like, oh man, if I don't like take my time and really make sure. I'll never forgive myself if I miss, right? That's what you're thinking at the foul line when that's just not when it's something that's supposed to be rote and that you don't think about. That's like the exact opposite approach you should be taking. Like there's being like more careful about your shot is not going to help you when you're in your own head at the
1: foul line. You you, you we both know what he should do, Nate. Come on. It's it's right there. <laughs> yes, yes. Do you want to say it or should I? Uh, go go ahead. He he needs to adopt the Rick Berry granny shot. No, I, I you know I don't think we both know that actually. Who, who is? What, what were you there's thinking? There's always
0: somebody who says that shit. <laughs> it's just
1: I, I don't think that's actually a better way to shoot it. How can you really? You don't think he could get above seventy percent with that? I don't know. Well, because here's
0: this is my thought, right? Like you don't. I've never tried that shot before, other than just like you know screwing her off my friends when I was ten. But there's a reason that when you shoot the ball overhand, you don't shoot it with one hand exactly on one side of the ball and one hand exactly on the other side of the ball. Like it's hard to avoid having the ball go one way or the other that way. So why is that any easier when you're granny?
1: We would have to ask Rick. He insists that it's easier. Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Or, or one of the actors in Hoosiers
1: show. I think, I think we've now arrived at, at the main event. Where are you now? Oh, so I think there's a lot of really juicy stuff we're going to get into. Um, but let's start with where where are you now on Jokic? Do you have the same reservations about him that you had last year? And if you do, um, maybe lay those out for people who aren't familiar with them, because I think they're really interesting points that you made on why your overall assessment of his playoff value is lower than other people might have him.
0: Yeah, so basically the issue, ranking him number nine, even though I had him as my regular season MVP, I thought he had the most value in the regular season last year, um, is, and I also think that he very well may be the best offensive player in basketball. And so you're like, okay, well, he's, he's a center, and centers deliver more defensive value than guards do, and if you think that he is maybe even a hair ahead of Steph for the best defense, uh, best offensive player in basketball, how can you possibly say that he doesn't have more value because he plays a more valuable defensive position? But the problem is that he plays a more valuable defensive position, and it's just, to me, I don't, and maybe, maybe a full-strength Nuggets team will, will be the test of this if they really have MPJ and Murray back playing at a high level. But to me, you just cannot get your defense to a high enough level in the playoffs if you have a defensive center who is, Mediocre to kind of bad, and now a lot of people will come at me. Well, no, he's not actually mediocre, or kind of bad, and you know they're they're defending really well with him on the floor this year, and and they've done that for stretches uh, before So I think he actually has gotten better this year, which is, will probably change part of my evaluation going forward. But if you have a, a guy like him, you know if you go back and watch like that Phoenix series last year is a perfect example, and it's not like they stopped the Blazers the this, this series before that. I just don't think that you can. I don't think you can build a good, resilient playoff defense with him due to his limitations on the perimeter and limitations as a rim protector. And so no matter how good he is on offense, when you have him out there, you are putting a ceiling on your playoff defense that is extremely difficult to overcome, even if he's not a quote unquote bad defender. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that you can't have an elite defense with him as your center. I so, think that is uh, until proven otherwise.
1: Okay. So it's, it's safe to say wherever he ends up, he's still in a l- kind of lower tier for you because of that concept. Right.
0: Yeah. That it's yeah. just a, a, with him a, and maybe you could just build such a good offense. Right. I mean, that's the, maybe part of the counter argument is, well, he's so much above replacement level offensively at center where, you know, that's probably the, that, even just getting you know good perimeter players around him, your offense is so good that you can overcome that. But you're still, it's just really hard to win four series in a row in a shootout every time without having a defense that's going to be, I should say, playoff defense that's going to be able to get out there and stop people. And they largely just have not been able to stop people with him at center in the playoffs. And I thought the Phoenix series was a perfect encapsulation of that where Chris Paul and Devin Booker were just going totally crazy against him. And he was absolutely powerless to stop them. And Mike Malone was absolutely powerless to stop it. And he tried everything he possibly could, but it all came back to the fact that they just had zero chance of guarding that pick and roll two on two. And so they had to either give up the mid-ranger or give up wide open corner threes all the time.
1: So is it, is it fair to say then um, that unlike some plus minus scale, if you will, When you think about him in the playoffs, that he's – and there's a lot of nuance here, so I want to frame it right. He's either a considerable negative or it's such that he can tread water, tread water, tread water. But in four series, you're likely to hit kind of a bomb, if you will, that just blows up the defense and erodes your odds of winning a series. Is that – am I uh, steel manning what you're saying? Am I getting it right? Pretty close. I would say even that it's not that he's a considerable negative on defense.
0: It's that he's not a positive and that you, you cannot build a defense without a positive at center um, or at least someone who's really versatile at center, right? Like, I mean, all right, if you want to say, Hey, Luke Longley, like wasn't some awesome defensive player for the bulls. Okay, fine. They also had like Rodman, Pippen and Jordan next to him. Right. So that's, and they could also move to Rodman at center if they needed to at, at times to get some more versatility out there. So it's not even that he's like so actively negative, it's that he's just not positive. And you just have to have positive defense at that position to build a good enough playoff
1: team. So one,
0: I don't know if that's much different from what you're saying, but I hope that's
1: Uh better. no, no, I think there's a subtle distinction and I think in in the uh podcast that you guys did in April on this, you do say it's very hard to find recent historical championship teams uh, and I wonder if there's even a team that was like very close to winning a championship that that didn't have a what would you describe them a solid positive defensive player at the center position?
0: Yeah, I, or I would say just uh, as a, at a center, someone who is at the level that Jokic is defensively in the playoffs. Like I think he, if they win a championship with him as the center, he would be the worst defensive center. At least with the guys who played when it mattered, right? Like, you know, I think of Draymond Green, for example. As, you know, I'm I'm not talking about Zaza Pachulia here on Golden State, right? Like, I'm Draymond Green is their center uh, in the lineups that matter. Uh yeah, I think he would be the worst defensive center as the primary guy to win a championship, and I mean, basically as long as I can remember, maybe Kareem back in like the late '80s. Well,
1: well, I actually think. So I mean this is a really interesting point and I think it's a compelling point and I understand why um it kind of pulls where you rank him down. I mean if you watch because
0: yeah, my... I, I want to hear what your counter is because you well, had a yes, yes. right? No, I do. Yes, yeah. yes.
1: No, I do. I do have I do have two two big points that I want to get into, but if you listen to my video um I have similar reservations about him. It just doesn't lead me as far down the road, apparently. And I think, Mm -hmm. before I even get into the two points I want to discuss, I I do feel like his offense is so good. And the fact that he's taking up a position that is usually not good on offense, so it's very likely to have four shooters and four cutters around him. And you just kind of roll the ball out there and play, if you will. I, I do think that that is going to get them a very high floor if you will in the playoffs and to some degree you know we don't have a huge sample on it but to some degree when i look at the evidence that's what it feels like right it feels like man every time denver gets in the playoffs they're not very dominant but they're a pain in the butt to eliminate outside of last year with phoenix when i mean they were playing like the ninth string guards um and the team completely fell apart yeah. that that's kind of what they feel like right
0: no i i think you're right there one thing i might add this is a little bit more ancillary but center Is probably the one position that still exists where you can say, "Hey, you like if you have that guy, they can go shut the guy down, right?" Like that. Maybe that was Aiton to some degree against Jokic in in last year's playoffs, where it's harder to, you know, it's not like Jokic at center. You don't necessarily have as much of the option of like, "Okay, you got Andre Andre Iguodala on me." as LeBron James brings Steph Curry into the action, you know, small, small pick and roll will take advantage of him, right? Like you don't have as much of that at center. Part of, Though, maybe the counter for that is if he has Jamal Murray with him, then they can right. run pick and roll and they can get it to him on a pick and pop on yep. the move and it doesn't matter as much who's guarding him. Like, I, I, I could see that a, a little bit as the counter to that. And, and most of the teams, the way they defended in the playoffs last year was, you know, Portland would just like, all right, we're just going to stick y- Yusuf Nurkic in when he sets the screen and, Facundo Campazzo go ahead and go to the rim and try to make a layup exactly the back line.
1: Yeah. Um, well, so, I think
0: so. Maybe, but but I do think to the extent that you can find the individual to shut somebody down at the center position offensively, it's still easier to do that at that position than any other position.
1: So, I mean, I think that's probably true. I just I I haven't seen anything yet that makes me think Jokic is really uh, shut downable. And I think that's another. I mean, Aiton. You don't think Aiton did a good job on
0: him, or are you
1: just ascribing
0: that to because he had? I thought somewhat of a subpar series to I, I... where he's been in that Phoenix series. Yeah, like, a lot they of... didn't have a great offensive series. Agree,
1: that. but a lot of that to me was just him not like I think you literally run out of players that had played basketball with Jokic for any meaningful amount of time. Oh, And yeah, yeah and I think you know ninety something percent of that is that. Even go back to the bubble against the Lakers where you've got. Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and LeBron James and Frank Vogel and a defensively minded team and he wasn't as potent in that series but I mean if AD doesn't hit that shot the a 3-2 series against the Nuggets now you got to win two instead of one game um but this kind of is in line with what I'm seeing with this quality of team like I think he in other words I do think he's that good on offense in the playoffs that he's making you competitive as long as you can put out a reasonably competent defensive roster around him. I think that's kind of where I think about it.
0: No, I I largely uh, agree with you uh on that. Uh but yeah, again, it's just it, it's really it's very tough for me to just find a a it's really the, more the defensive concerns. Yeah. I mean, I don't rely as much on that Phoenix series to say he can be shut down offensively. I, I think that's extremely difficult to do. I thought actually Gobert had a very good run against him for most of that series in 2020 as well. I thought that he was really limiting Jokic, his assists and like forcing him to shoot it from the outside, which of course caused him to discover that oh yeah, I can shoot <laughs> 39. Yeah. Oh, and kind um, of changed. His, I think that series kind of changed his game because he was just forced to do that to be effective.
1: He's. I'm, um, I'm also Dirk Nowitzki. You mean that that whole thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and in that pod, you bring up Dirk and how it's possible. 10 years later, his limitations defensively may have been too much. And I've said that historically about Dirk for a long time. Like when you take up, back in the day, it was two big positions. Today, it's probably just the center position. When you occupy that, there is some ceiling limitation that I think goes there, which is where I find... Um, your sort of stance here compelling. It's just interesting because I think we end up at a place that is a, a, a degree different, right? Like there's a materially different degree. I think Jokic can be the best player in the league. I think he can uh, lead a championship team. Um Obviously, I don't think the defense is going to be great, but there's also this weird thing with the Nuggets where their playoff defenses statistically have been about neutral, right? Like they haven't... Now, this gets back to some series they've been gashed, but I don't know how much stock I want to put into the... To the final series last year against the Suns, when they ran out of players.
0: Well, I don't think they ran out of defensive players in that series necessarily.
1: No, that's true. Um, but I do wonder how much of that two-way stuff impacts each other when you're talking about experience and guys using up energy on offense or whatever it may be. Burning yeah, people burning in calories. Denver
0: will say that people in Denver will say that that he was gassed. But I mean, if you just look at the film of him just doing the dare you to shoot it stomp at Chris Paul's <laughs> elbow jumper. 65 times in a row in game three and four, uh, you know, it, that, that it doesn't make you feel too too good about that. Well, so let me ask you this. Do we disagree in our evaluation of his defense or in our evaluation of the import of that defense? Or do we disagree on just that his offense is so good? We, we totally agree on his defense, but you think his offense is even more nuclear than I think it is.
1: I think it's the second point, the import of the defense, because I think even in that situation with Chris Paul, if, if you can have him do less, slightly less heavy lifting on offense, because you get some Jamal Murray, you know, and man, don't bubble Jamal Murray. If it ever comes back, Nate, I'm going to have to buy some jerseys or something. Um, right. If you can, if you can do that, then you can say, Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's trap it. Let's hedge it. Let's change something a little bit. So we throw them off. Uh,
0: well, well, but they they've tried trapping over the years and, and hedging, and that just ends up opening up the backside too much for for three pointers. That that was for a long time that was one of their the schemes that they were more comfortable, in because that protected Jokic, right? And and a lot of people would be like, oh yeah, like the pick and roll numbers, pick and roll ball handler, don't do anything against them. Like yeah, that's because they get the ball out of the guy's hands, and then you know it's the corner three point shooters who are killing you. But the whole reason they have to do that is because Jokic can't actually defend in a drop coverage.
1: Well, I think, right. And I think uh, that's a great point. And I also think that kind of illustrates the degree to which we are, are varying on how much that matters. Like, I'm not saying the nuggets are going to be a good playoff defense. They, you may be able to put a decent playoff defense around him. I think what I'm saying is I don't see the bottom. I don't see the guarantee of the bottom falling out. Maybe the way that you do now, he, he does look even a little bit more spry, defensively this year he's a, I agree he's a smart defensive player which is another thing I kind of think about in terms of scheme ability around him so I, I his think his effort though like does
0: wane like I think he could really like and, and every once in a while he'll get that but he just is not there are just too many plays where, he, whether it's just through the offensive burden or or what, maybe, maybe now that he's in even better, better shape, maybe that'll change.
1: Well, I, but I think this is where the team quality comes into play. Like, right. I, to me, I do think it's fair to say, God, the guy doesn't have to do everything for 40 minutes a game in a playoff game. Like, it's not – if you're going to get to that level – Gordon's got to be good. Jamal Murray's got to be there. In the past, it was Gary Harris. Now I guess it's what uh, Will Barton. Uh, no, it's I'm Michael Porter. That's another name, right? Like the you have to have the team around you, and so I, that's where I see it as like I'm still not convinced that the bottom's going to fall out defensively with a Jokic team. Now you mentioned, and I thought was was really compelling his the just the historical point, right? Two things on that. One. I do think we're indexing on a sample where it's very, very, very rare for the big or the center to be the great offensive centerpiece that you then put defense around. And so what that means is most of these championship teams we're looking at, in a way, don't apply from like a data sampling standpoint because they had offensive players who were wings um, or smalls, and then you filled up the big position. Like think of the big three in Miami. They're just like Joel Anthony. (laughs) Go go out yeah. there. Go well, out there well, of and course, rebound. they
0: they took off when they dumped those guys and just started playing Bosch at center. Uh, Chris Anderson, very very underrated. Uh,
1: oh, the, the Birdman. Yeah. Team. So, so I yeah. think the other the other point for me, um, because like I said, I do think that's a very interesting data point. But the other point for me is I think the historical analog has to be Shaq, where. You are not traditionally building around a big who's two-way or defensively dominant. You're building around a big who essentially is an offensive freak, and you take care of everything else you can around them to support that. In Jokic's case, it's just getting some shooters and cutters on offense, maybe a ball handler to pair with him like Murray for pick and pop. But of course, it's guys like Gordon or guys where you can Paul Millsap, where you can Will Barton, where you can fill in defensively. And Jokic, I think we agree, is Jokic. I don't think Shaq was a negative percent uh, defender in his day, and Jokic, therefore, is a worse defender in this time. Um, But Shaq was a guy who, like, you could go at him in pick and roll really, really hard in the playoffs. It jumped out to me a little bit more in my latest trek back through history doing greatest peaks. But they, you know, the Kings almost got them essentially, just by the way they play with their bigs, their passing, Mike Bibby, just like spamming pick and roll against them. And Shaq, it's like, I- I'm going to I'm gonna stay in the lane the whole game and, and you guys do whatever you want. Now, again, he's a better defender. But I do think that's kind of the historical comparison of how you build around one of these players. And, I, you know, again, to me, I, I just I think you can do it with Jokic. I think you can get that championship team. So he doesn't have any kind of like bottom falling out feel for me that it feels like is the difference with you.
0: The, the question you raise of how Shaq, well, you don't raise it, but you, you spawn it in my mind of how Shaq would look in the modern game is one of the greatest historical questions to me that I yeah. was just so fascinated by. But I think back at that time, you know, I, I think there are different standards now for what makes a good, defensive center than what there was then and I agree with you he could be attacked to pick and roll but we just spread pick and roll just wasn't what it is now back then I would have loved to have seen if we could have just even seen the 2005 Suns going against just a couple years earlier those Lakers teams that would have been so fascinating to see how Shaq might have held up defensively and also obviously how he would have completely destroyed them on the other (laughs) well and yeah, keep going. So, so what I think Shaq did enough. I would say that Shaq, for his day, and by the standards of what made a good defensive center at that time, particularly when motivated in the playoffs, particularly in his best years, like 2000 uh, was his best year when he was really in shape on first Phil Jackson year, I think that he was significantly better than where I would put Jokic at because, due to his rim protection and then also a huge part of it back then was being able to guard guys in the post. And so, you know, he could switch on to, Tim Duncan against the Spurs at the end of games and do a pretty good job on him. That was a a storyline in some of those series. Yeah. So I, I would put, I would still put Shaq at a significantly higher level than Jokic in the playoffs as a defender.
1: Yep. Completely agree. That of course is why I have Shaq as one of the highest peaks ever. And I, and I think, you know, the, the nugget that I think you get from this conversation is that there really isn't a pure historical analog. I think Shaq is the closest, um, I think Jokic for our day today is a weaker defender in the playoffs than Shaq. But, I mean, I also just think that means you get a slightly worse team at the end of the day, whereas it it seems like our disagreement is that you think there's this this sort of propensity or likelihood of the bottom falling out. Um, I, Nate, anything else you want to say on this? I think we've circled the wagons, and I think it's just going to be one of those wait-and-see things where in a couple of years we might come back and feel differently.
0: Well, and to that point, one of the things that makes me believe I I was, well, I, I'm always like, when I say stuff like this, I'm taking a a stance that's somewhat contrary. And, you know, when you get some shit for it, obviously you have to self evaluate where it could go wrong. And there's a couple of reasons why I think that it might be with Jokic where I could be wrong. Maybe they they do win a championship or, you know, play at, at a clear championship level where I'm like, Oh, where I just have to acknowledge, okay, I haven't too low, by the way, because more because other players have gone down and also because he looks a little bit better himself, I would probably have Jokic. I would move him up to probably like six or five, just as I eyeball it right now. Like I would move AD down. Kawhi, I'd probably have to move down LeBron. I'd probably have Jokic above LeBron right now too. I'd have an above Embiid, you know, Luca. Let's see. He's kind of started the year in a weird way also, but so I would, I would move Jokic up quite a bit more due to attrition from some of these other guys. Um, But I would say, that the biggest thing where I could get egg on my face here is I don't know that there are really the type of great teams that I grew up with in NBA media, like those Heat teams and those Warriors teams, those LeBron Cavs, that where they're just gonna like so completely destroy Jokic, where like his offense couldn't be enough to overcome. Like I think you know, there isn't necessarily if they put a full strength Denver team out there, is there some great team where I'm like okay I wouldn't even give the Nuggets a chance in this series. No, I don't think so. Now, I, if you're going to have them slight underdogs for three series in a row, then the chances of winning the championship are low, but it can happen. Yeah. And that's why I was so disappointed by the injury to Jamal Murray last year. And, and you know, obviously Barton got hurt, too. And, and just to not be able to see, not have my theory tested with Jokic, where they were going into series so undermanned that they just weren't a real championship threat, it was so disappointing. And now there's this Porter Jr. injury, and who knows who? how Murray's going to look when he gets back and I'm just I fear we may never really see this optimized nu- Nuggets roster around Jokic to the point where we can even say like yeah his defense was in fact the bottleneck for them winning a championship because I don't think anyone would be arguing that last year's Nuggets team that he should have pushed them any further than he did
1: yeah exactly and I think you know if if Jokic is kind of like center version of Nash then to be, to, I think to qu- sort of quote unquote test your theory as much as it could be tested, then you would want some firepower. You'd want Porter clicking on all cylinders. You'd want a healthy Jamal Murray. You'd want to see that. Just like with the Suns, the huge criticism of the Suns in the middle of the decade was they couldn't defend, therefore they couldn't win. And I just, in retrospect, I just don't think that holds up in the sense of like yeah they they lost a close series to the dynastic spurs that's that's the level they were at it sounds like though you'd be convinced if they played a series like that uh against a great team in the playoffs and went toe to toe with them
0: potentially I, I think again you run into the, you, know, you run into the issue of let's say they win like I, I i it's hard for me to see this nuggets team just blowing teams out in series because they're because of their defense, right? I think you're just going to have some rough shooting games. You're you need that cushion on both ends of the floor, unless you're going up against you know the 2016 Eastern Conference or something. Uh, but you need that cushion on both ends of the floor to win enough to win series comfortably. I think it's very difficult for them to win series comfortably, and so at some point, even if they have all all their guys, you're gonna you're gonna have. A rough shooting series, one out of four times, or one out of three times. If you want to say that's when you start playing teams that can actually beat you. Do you and th- so that yeah.
1: Well, do you think that would do you think that would be the case if they had a slightly better roster? Like configure it however you want to in your head. Give them a better version of Murray or another great offensive player or a, a better defensive version of of Millsap or now Gordon. Like in other words, I'm wondering, do you think that's just persistent like it's that big of a deal with Jokic or we're only seeing that because the the fact is that the Nuggets don't have a great dominant team and Jokic is elevating them to a certain level that's that's making them really competitive but they can't be dominant. I think
0: once you got to the point where and you consider Jokic obviously is making a max contract, once you got to the point where they got Aaron Gordon and they have Michael Porter Jr playing really well on a rookie scale contract, you got Murray on a max contract, you had Will Barton also on a significant contract. Like those those guys are all pretty good for their roles. Yeah. Like that's a pretty deep team. I don't know how you expect to build a realistically a better team than that around Jokic unless you're just going, you know, crazy free agency big 3 type of style and get just another crazy superstar in there with him. I I mean, but if you do that then you give up a lot of that depth that you have. I don't see how you can build a better team around Jokic than that. But then you've got you know, Murray's an okay defender. Porter Jr. not really very good, and then you so you've kind of got Gordon and Barton because you you still need three good offensive players. And when you're force you're forcing all of your perimeter guys to be really good defenders to have a good defense, then it's hard to find enough offense then on your perimeter guys. So I think it, it does his skill set does lead to some difficulties in team building to some degree. I think. The Nuggets did the absolute best job that you could have possibly hoped for building this team around, them, and they just haven't been healthy.
1: Mm, interesting. I want to I want to change something I said earlier before we wrap. I feel like okay. Dirk Dirk probably does have to be the historical comparison. Um, and Dirk didn't always play a lot of center. Of course, when they won, it was finally creating this system where they had a great defensive center next to him and Tyson Chandler. It was a model they flipped to when they got rid of Nash, which I thought was the right move. Um, not getting rid of Nash explicitly, but saying, hey, let's put defensive centers next to this guy instead of continuing to stack up offensive players. And now, as I said, we don't really have two bigs. But the reason why I say that is because I'm equally critical of Dirk as not being a guy who had this trail of dominant teams. His teams were always really good. His plus-minus numbers and the performance of his lineups, they're always really good for like a decade. But even when they won the title, it was one of these situations where that team wasn't like a, a dominant juggernaut team. Um, yeah. And if the heat, you know, if LeBron doesn't hiccup or whatever, like that might be their ceiling. We look back and we'd be like, Oh, they were, yeah. they made a couple yeah. finals
0: or, or they don't wear, or, or, or they don't play just some completely useless center for like the entire finals or, or build their team that way. And just, <laughs> they just put one like cypher shooter on
1: that <laughs> of anything. Like Joel Anthony, yeah, or something. Joel uh, Anthony and Mike, like, a steady diet of Joel Anthony and, um, you know, Mario Chalmers.
0: Yeah, like LeBron wasn't, I mean, obviously he faltered in that series, but he wasn't struggling with J.J. Barea because J.J. Barea is so good. He was struggling with him because they're playing zone or they got Tyson Chandler just standing under the rim the whole time because they didn't have enough spacing.
1: Yeah. No, that's, uh, uh, um Nate, anything else you want to say on these guys while we're here? Any other things you want to bounce around. Did you have a series of questions laid out for me that I just deflected for the last hour? <laughs> no, no, I, I've, I've written down some good ones
0: to do on the uh, on my home game, uh, which we're going to do in a couple of weeks here uh, maybe, and focus on some other topics. But no, th- this is awesome. I, I love getting into these topics uh, with you because I think we think pretty similarly uh, on a lot of these. But if I may plug something, Please. Danny and I do NBA League Cast or League Pass alternate casts on mondays every monday on nba league pass if you're a subscriber you can check out the game that we're doing i don't know when this is coming out but we're doing utah and memphis uh, on monday november 22nd and so basically every monday we are doing a cast and uh, so uh, jamal crawford and quentin richardson have, have been in the news lately with the one that they're doing on thursdays and so we're doing one uh, on mondays as well so i hope that you'll check that out and let us be your announcers for a game it's really fun to do and we take a little bit Different of a, an approach than your normal uh, League Pass announcers.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's an awesome alternative if you haven't checked it out. And and just so people uh, can go there and support this and, and at least experience it once, if you go to the League Pass, how do you, is it just when you click to watch a game, you'll see that alternate stream on, on the 22nd in that game, the Jazz game?
0: Yeah, it's on League Pass Digital. So you just click on the NBA.com score of that game, it'll give you the option to watch and then... Uh, Will pop up as an option, Nate Duncan and Daniel LaRue.
1: If you want to support this podcast directly, patreon.com slash thinking basketball is the best way to do it. We've got our live season. Uh, proprietary stats, all the stats that I look at and some of the ones that I've built to help analyze players during the year, that is up for our deluxe members. We also have extra content. We have a monthly live Q&A. We have a community, um, all sorts of fun stuff over there, patreon.com slash basketball. A huge thanks to supporters who have helped make this possible over the last few years. And a thanks to you, if you're still listening here at the end of the show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope you continue to enjoy this season and of course I hope you're having a great